Welcome to the Backyard Professor Responds. Fair has put up a video clip of Hugh Nibley sharing the parallels between the Dead Sea Scroll Book of Enoch fragments called the 4Q Enoch Giants. He compares them with the Joseph Smith Book of Enoch in the Book of Moses, chapters 6 and 7. He wrote a series of articles on the Book of Enoch, A Strange Thing in the Land, The Return of the Book of Enoch. They compiled those articles into his book, Enoch the Prophet, in the collected works of Hugh Nibley. Let's take a look at this uh, three-minute clip, and then I will respond to that. Now, about 1950, they found the Enoch Scroll. There's another, the same year the Book of Mormon was published, in June, as a matter of fact, 1830. Book of Moses came out, the first Book of Moses. Now, this Book of Moses is more marvelous than the Book of Mormon. It's a totally different style, totally different document. It goes back to the beginning of things, and uh, it contains, in the seventh and eighth chapters, the Book of Enoch. Now, the Book of Enoch is now known to exist was not known in that time. The first documents were discovered in 1773 by Sir James Bruce. He brought them. Nobody could read them. Joe Bludolf, at the turn of the century, declared they were faked, and so everybody took that seriously. But then, uh, in not until 1868 and then 1892, the Slavonic version was discovered. That's much older, much fuller. And then, after that, was discovered the Greek versions in the 1930s, mostly. And then, finally, in, in 1950, came the latest and the best ones, the old Aramaic, 300 years older than any other known one from the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's 4Q Enoch. And 4Q Enoch tells us the story of Enoch that is different from the others. Now, it, some people try to show that Joseph Smith may have copied from the first version. One was translated in 1821 by Bishop Lawrence, uh, Irish Bishop of, of Cashel in Ireland. And uh, he was a very good scholar, but it never reached this country. And it was condemned by all the ministers because it was a, an apocryphal work. They said it was vulgar. It was sickening. But I say the greatest authority in Europe, Joe Bud Ludolf, said it was, it was disgraceful. It was nauseating. It would have nothing to do with it. But that isn't the one Joseph Smith used if he copied one because he couldn't. Because it was this 1950 one, by far the oldest one, that he tells the most remarkable stories. I'm going to read you one story here that's told in both of them. I put them in parallel columns here for your delectation. The book of Moses says, now this is the point, you see. The presence of Enoch when he comes among the people is a disturbing one. They're, they're frightened by him. And it, it says in the book of Moses, when they heard him, fear came upon all them that heard him. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, Enoch discovered in the 1950s, says thereupon the giants and the Nephilim took fright. The people took fright. Then we continue. This is all in order on both sides. Joseph Smith said, and there came a man under him whose name was Mahija. And he said unto him, tell us plainly how, who thou art and from whence thou comest. Well, the book of the giants says, and they summoned Mahuja. Notice we have Mahuja and Mahija here. They th that name never occurred anywhere else. Mahuja, and he came to them and the giants asked him and sent him to Enoch saying, go then under pain of death you must and listen to his voice and tell him that he is to explain to you and interpret his dreams. Well, in the Joseph Smith versions, they send him and say, and he comes to him and tell us plainly who you are. They're scared. They must know who he is. In this case, the giants, they're the two giants, Oya and Mahija. And Oya sends Mahija to find out. It says in Joseph Smith, he says it was the man Mahija that went and asked him the question. Here it says it was the giant Mahija and asked him the same question. Just who are you? Then he goes on and he said to him, this is the answer. So let's take a look at this in order in an interesting situation that uh, I, have, I have been interviewing Colby Townsend, uh, a scholar to keep your eye on in the future, and he has shared how now through further research that uh, Nibley is just wrong. He was wrong then. He's especially wrong now because further research has demonstrated without question that books of Enoch were available to Joseph Smith. It was being talked about, etc. Nibley also said that the name Mahuja, Mahija, 
And he really did make a big deal about this in both his lectures and in his articles and in his book. He said that name is nowhere around. It's not available to Joseph Smith. Now, I'm not sure if he meant now th thinking on it. I'm not sure if he meant anywhere else in any of the other copies of the Book of Enoch or if it just wasn't around. But the parallel loses a lot of its force when we recognize that it most definitely is in the Old Testament, Genesis 4 and 18, where it's shown, and it's given in two different forms, as you can see on the one, two, three, fourth line down, where we read, he fathered Yalad et Mehuyel, and Mahajiel. They're both spelled the same way in the English, but it's very important to see that in the Hebrew, they are different spellings. That is truly significant. So the name was available to here, of course, it's it's a uh, it's combined with the deity L. But it is definitely available with Joseph Smith. Now, Colby Townsend also discussed this in the, uh, well, let me uh, hold on before I get too carried away. Here's how Nibley put it in his book, Enoch the Prophet. Mahuja or Mahaji in the Dead Sea Scrolls is a coincidence with the name in the Book of Moses, Enoch section, except for one minor detail. Asking the same question of Enoch uh, which is not accurate, as I will show. And the two accounts calling the people to repent, referring them to the book of remembrance and telling them the plan of salvation. And this is exactly the role and the only role that the Aramaic Mahuja plays in the story. And that too is simply false. The name is found in none of the other Enoch texts, and neither is the story. It is peculiar to the version Joseph Smith gave us. It's unfortunate that this is so terribly misleading. It's the same story as Nibley edits both of those Dead Sea Scroll fragments and the Pearl of Great Price story, as I will demonstrate. But leaving the story intact wipes out the neat and tight parallels Nibley finds, and that is what I choose, uh, that is what I'm going to discuss. This is Colby Townsend's excellent article. It was published in the Intermountain West Journal of Religious Studies, returning to the sources, integrating textual criticism in the study of early Mormon texts in history. This was in 2019. The first issue is the names in the two traditions are not the same. So Nibley misunderstood this. The triliteral roots for both the names are in fact different making the two different names altogether. The biblical tradition that the book of Moses is dependent on, as Nibley notes in Genesis 4.18, has two spellings for the same name, minus the theophoric element present in the names, and that element is El, Mahuja, and Mahaija. So it's likely that Mahuja is the misspelling, which is caused by the similarity between the Hebrew letter Vav and the Hebrew letter Yod. That makes good sense. In the 4Q Enoch Giants fragments, we do not find this name, but we do find a different one, Mahawe. So the fact that there is a letter difference between a Hebrew letter He and the Hebrew letter Het moves us from one etymological study and meaning of the name to another name entirely. So Mahaja and Mahuja, which are the same name, come from the root MHH to be destroyed or removed or smitten, I should say. The Mahawi from the Book of Giants comes from a different root meaning to be or to happen, to occur, or to come to pass, the Haya. These are two completely separate names that are easily confused when transliterated into English from the Hebrew. 
and Nibley relied too heavily on his English transcription of both names, the Mahui, the M-H-W-Y, and failed to recognize that the H represents two distinct letters, which, according to Soundsend in Hebrew, makes it two different etymological occurrences, not the same name at all. So there are some of the problems involved with Hugh Nibley's approach to this whole thing, but I want to get a little bit more into the details because I discovered something exquisitely fascinating. And it's somewhat embarrassing because I'm 61 now, and it took me this long to actually do something I should have done decades ago as an apologist. I simply accepted everything Nibley wrote. If Nibley said it, well, I mean, the man knew at least 10 languages fluently. That was enough to overawe most of us, if not all of us. And so in the process, the issue now is that I never completely checked into closely into Nibley's sources, nor how he used the parallels. I have now done so, and I am much less impressed now than I was as a budding apologist looking to defend Joseph Smith's revelations. In his book, Enoch the Prophet, I've got a few tabs I want to just hurry and scurry because there's a lot to this. In his parallel on page 53, here the weeping sky is equated with the weeping creator, Moses 734, of course. Nibley doesn't go to any kind of book of Enoch text. He goes to the Salt 825 papyrus in Egyptian. But that's, that has nothing to do with an Enoch text, right? So the parallel is not a parallel. Here is how Nibley put it very succinctly on page 94. This is the challenge, the gauntlet, and this is what I am responding to. The problem is perfectly simple and straightforward. There was once an ancient book of Enoch, but it became lost, and it was not discovered until our own time when it can be reliably reconstructed from some hundreds of manuscripts in a dozen different languages. How does this Enoch Redivivus compare with Joseph Smith's highly condensed and astonishing specific and detailed version? And so we have only one place, or we only have to place, the Joseph Smith version of the book of Enoch, Moses 6.25 through 8.3, with associated texts. Notice, with associated texts. He has to put that in there. Because these parallels are not all that strong, nor convincing, so he brings in much more into the foreground, causing us to forget that it's supposed to be parallels with the Book of Enoch. And I'll show you what I mean in a moment. And which have come for since 1830 to see what they have in common. It's a good idea. It actually is. So page 126 when Joseph Smith produces pages of a book of Enoch for our perusal, he cannot be borrowing from any known ancient source, whether the Ethiopian, the Greek, Slavonic, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Arabic, or anything else, because none of them were available to him in 1830. That is now entirely outdated information, as I've shown with my interview with Colby Townsend. And I have made another video discussing that. This is a different type of response. So, we begin on page 138. Uh, he says, we begin with Enoch keeping the books of Adam, recalling that the words and the prophecies of Adam were all written in the book of Enoch. Well, this comes out of the DNC 107.57, who reminded his people, the first of all we know, even Adam, for a book of remembrance we have written among us, Moses 6, 45 and 46. And then everywhere Enoch is credited with being the scribe and the transmitter par excellence, the righteous scribe, the teacher of heaven and earth, and the scribe of righteousness. The Joseph Smith Enoch brings forth the books, including Adams as a testimony and a witness to his generation. 
Moses 646, and even so, according to Jubilees, Enoch was the first to write a testimony, and he testified among the generations of the earth, etc. So nothing, however, of Adam or of Jesus Christ's crucifixion, atonement, crucifixion on the cross, or in the Garden of Eden, is atonement in the Garden of Eden, uh, the resurrection, nothing about the Melchizedek priesthood or temple endowment is in any of the books of Enoch explicitly. It's about the watchers and the giants and the flood of Noah. I want to keep that firmly in mind as we proceed later in on page 168 and 169. Nibley is discussing Moses chapter 1 as sort of a prologue to world history. Kind of interesting how he sets it up. However, he is not using any of the book of Enoch whatsoever. He's using another book, uh, The Combat of Adam and Eve. And so the these parallels are interesting, but they're not from the book of Enoch. Oh, he goes on through page 172. So, sincerely, there's no, the parallel is to Moses chapter 1, not to the book of Enoch. He's bringing in all of the grand patriarchs, of course, because he's trying to broaden the parallels, uh, because Moses is involved in the patriarchs, and so is Abraham. You know, Joseph Smith got us that book of Abraham, etc. So, not gonna touch on that one. That's uh oh, and then well, this one I will though. Yeah, this one I will. On page 182, Moses 552, and then he jumps back to Moses 529, and then he jumps forward to Moses 551, and then he jumps back to Moses 52930, and then he jumps over to Moses 516. The reason he's hop skipping and jumping. Now, see, Joseph Smith gave this supposedly through a vision, so the chronology really ought to matter, right? But Nibley, in order to strengthen the parallels with some ancient texts, has to hop, skip, and jump and rearrange how Joseph Smith received this text by a vision. And he parallels it to the Giza. And he parallels it to uh, 1 Enoch 69, which was available to Joseph Smith. Then he uh, parallels it to the Ethiopian Book of Mysteries, another book entirely from a different age, a different place, etc. So the parallels are really uh, pockmarked with, with here and there and everywhere and reordered not only from Joseph Smith, but from the ancient documents and taken as snippets out of a much larger context whose total background may have been lost in order to make his parallels work. For me, that's just not a convincing methodology. Um. Yeah, now, now here, at, in the age of Enoch, is consistently, he's on page 184 now, the age of Enoch is consistently described as the time of great intellectual as well as material sophistication, as ale taught men to make knives and breastplates and all kind of military hardware to work the oars of the earth and how gold was worked, you know, and they make ornaments for the women and they show them polishing, eye paints, makeup, you know, and this is all cosmetics and precious stones and dyes leads to immorality, fornication, and this is the great wickedness of the giants and the watchers, but none of this context is in Joseph Smith's book of Enoch in specific detail like this. It's much more generalized. Had this kind of detail, the name Azale, and some of these specific issues instead of just an overall general wickedness and fornication. I mean, Joseph Smith already knew that that was considered wicked from his serious study of the patriarchs in the first place. So these parallels just aren't that magnificent now. And then, of course, their leader, Semizus, Semiasus, taught them scientific formulas and the properties of roots and plants of the earth. 
the 11th Pharmacos taught all manner of drugs, incantation, prescriptions, formulas, etc. He taught them stargazing, astrology, meteorology, geology, the signs of the sun and the moon, and all of these began to reveal the mysteries to their wives and children. See, none of that specificity is in Joseph Smith's Book of Enoch. It's just generalized sort of, well, you're wicked and we need to uh, repent. So, and then uh, finally in his very ending, oh, well, I've got to share these parallels too. Yeah, on page 186, this is pretty important. He's in Moses 4.1 and then he skips over to Moses 4.4. 4. Then he jumps into another parallel, Moses 6, 28 and 29. Then he goes back to 557. Then he bumps back up to Moses 629. Then he jumps way up to Moses 643. Then he goes to Moses 732. And in the parallel materials, he has a uh, the Slavonic Enoch manuscript R. Then he goes over to Beatty 99. I'm not quite sure if that's the Chester Beatty papyri or what. I'm not sure. But it's certainly not the Slavonic Enoch, so far as I'm aware. Then he goes over to the Secrets of Enoch, translation by Valent. Then he goes back over to 1 Enoch 63.9. And then he goes to a medieval Beit Ha Midrash of the Jewish Zohar, hundreds of years later in a completely different area. And then he jumps back over to the secrets. Oh, and then and, and then he's still jumping around and now he's back into one Enoch four, etc. And so and he's doing the same thing in the Pearl of Great Prize. He's jumping from chapter six to chapter seven. Uh, he's jumping between verses, skipping some verses, using only some parts of verses, etc., in order to make the parallels appear to be really strong. And you're not getting the overall story as both the book of Enoch tells it, nor the entire contextual story as Joseph Smith's book of Enoch tells it. And I will get to that. All of this, and then see here on page 189, 188 is more of the parallels, another impressive parallel with Enoch. And then on page 189, he's going to the secrets of Enoch, and then he jumps to the Jewish encyclopedia. Okay. And then he jumps to Second Baruch 67.2. Uh, okay. See, that's a completely different literature, a completely different time, a completely different political, economic, and historical context altogether. And yet he's pulling all this disparate stuff together while he is hop, skipping, and jumping through the Pearl of Great Price book of Enoch version. And then he's back to Moses 7, 26. And then he goes to 33, 34, and 41. You notice he's skipping whole verses, and he's paralleling this with the secrets of Enoch 22. And then Moses 7, 29, and 30. I'm on page 191. That was on page 190. On page 191, we see him paralleling Moses 7, 29, and 30 with 1 Enoch 71. Notice earlier it was 1 Enoch 69. What? What happens in 1 Enoch 70? We don't know. Nibley skipped it, you know. He skipped it if it doesn't parallel. But that is part of the Enoch context. You see how that, you see how he's fudging with the data. And then he goes to Giza again, 9 4. And then he goes to 1 Enoch. 53, see, he's at 1 Enoch 71, one verse to make a parallel in Moses 7, 29 and 30, 31. And then he jumps to 1 Enoch 53, 20 chapters earlier, in order to make a parallel, not with Moses 7, 29 and 30, but with Moses 7, 24. We don't get 25, 26, 27, 28. Nibley just skips it. So he's, he's hop-skipping and jumping through both sets of texts and 
across the borders between different kinds of books of Enoch, because all books of Enoch are not the same. The Hebrew book of Enoch is dated way later, sometimes up into medieval ages, third Enoch, as opposed to the Slavonic Enoch or the Greek Enoch. And the Aramaic Enoch, well, those are only fragments that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. But the scholarship of J.T. Millick that Nibley relies on in his Dead Sea Scroll analysis, the way he puts the fragments together after 30 years of study, Nibley then takes that arrangement and he rearranges it to simply match up how Joseph Smith put it in the Pearl of Great Price. And then he still has to skip most of the chapter in the Pearl Great Price in order to make the parallels with the Dead Sea Scroll fragments look really strong. I, I, I just simply don't find that convincing. Now here he's into Moses on page 192, Moses 738, he goes with the parallel to 2nd Enoch 5, and then he jumps way back in the Pearl of Great Price, Moses 6, 29 and 30, and he doesn't even use Enoch for that parallel. He uses Jubilees, 10 and 5. So, And then Moses 7, 67, now he jumps back to not to Enoch, or Jubilees, but back to one Enoch, and not chapter 69, and not chapter 57, but chapter 60. See, all of this, and then he, uh, over here on page 193, <laughs> on page 193, he's quoting 1 Peter 3.18 as a parallel for Joseph Smith's book of Enoch. Really? And then he quotes Moses 7.47. Then he skips back to Moses 7.38. Well, on the parallel column on the 193, where he's getting his parallel from, he's in 1 Enoch 65, but then he jumps over to 1 Enoch 45.2. Way back, completely different. And then he also gets back to the baby papyri. So, the overall theme of the world and upheaval, etc., is what so impresses all the Mormon apologists with these types of parallels between Joseph Smith's Book of Enoch and the uh, ancient books of Enoch. But we already knew that from the Bible. Everybody knew the world was in trouble. That's why God sent the flood. I mean, it, it's really not that difficult. And the generalized nature of the wickedness and the generalized nature of Oh, the people are wicked, and so they will be punished, etc. The only real specific good detail of name is Mahuja, and that was available, as I've shown, and Nibley blew that parallel anyway without understanding how the Aramaic textual apparatus works within the name which is odd because Nibley was a really good linguist, or was it deliberate in order to make a parallel? Who knows? Moses 7.17, I'm on page 194. Moses 7.17 in a book of Enoch, he's showing a parallel between 4th Ezra 6, 51, verse 51. D and C 49, 24, and 25, he parallels to the apocalypse of Adam. Uh, whoa, he's completely lost contact with any of the books of Enoch. But he has to do this because the information he's trying to show to be anciently authentic is simply not in the book of Enoch compared to Joseph Smith's book of Enoch. There's the downside of all this. Moses 7, 5, and he goes to one Enoch, not 50 or 60, but one Enoch, 13 verse 9. So now we're way back almost at the beginning of 1 Enoch in order to find a parallel in Moses 7 5. And then he jumps further into 7 7. And now we jump to an entirely different book again, The Secrets of Enoch. And then he goes to the Giza just as a follow up to make sure you get the parallel. 
But the Giza is not in the same time and place as the Secrets of Enoch, any more than the Secrets of Enoch is in the same contextual historical apparatus, time, or geography as one Enoch was. It's just a whole bunch of boing, 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 boing. And it, it just doesn't work. It, it, it's that simple. Again, he's bouncing around on page 196 and 197. He's continuing to bounce between one Enoch. Now it's 18, see? And, and the Giza, now it's 10, verse 9. And then Matthew Black's translation. And then he jumps over here again. And D&C 135, he parallels with the Secrets of Enoch manuscript on page 197. Moses 7, 5, he goes to 1 Enoch 56, 5. And then on page 198, Moses 7, 28, and he goes, the parallel, he says, is in 1 Enoch 100. And then just to make sure that he strengthens that parallel, uh, see, Enoch 100, you're right, smack dab in the book of Enoch. This is nowhere near Enoch 69. So you know the stories the contextual data in between can't possibly be the same story as Joseph Smith put together. But even that doesn't matter because Nibley is literally tearing the Joseph Smith chronology apart in order to make it look like it matches the ancient materials because their story and context does not match Joseph Smith's story in context. And that's critical, you see. There's, there's no parallel here that's really convincing, in other words. See, he's going to jump. Th this, this is batshit crazy. On page 198, Moses 728, and he parallels it with 1 Enoch 100, 11 through 13. Then he reinforces it with 1 Enoch 17, chapter 17. Now, in then he jumps from verse 28 in Moses 7 to verse 37 of chapter 7 in Moses. So he skipped many, many verses. And then he's quoting the, uh, the miracles of Jesus and the Bariata. And you're going, dude, uh, these are not the books of Enoch. <sighs> so, and then he jumps over. I'm on page 199. He, he shows a parallel with 1 Enoch 95.1. And then Moses 7.34 uh, with the secrets, chapter 13. And then Ben-Gorion. He uses a modern. Oh, and then he goes to. <laughs> then he goes to 2 Baruch 53. Then he jumps to 1 Enoch 17.4. Then he jumps to 1 Enoch 67, 5 through 7. He, the theme he's trying to build up in just a little piecemeal fashion. Oh, look, there's a sentence over in this book from 200 BC over there in Israel. Oh, and if I can go way over here to a Christian text 200 AD and find a little snippet here and put those two together, then we have the story as found in Joseph Smith's Moses 7 and 8. This is exactly what Nibley is doing. The subject is the devastation, the destruction, the lightning, the storms, the black water, the misery, the howling wind, the sandstorms, the earthquakes, the water floods, and the fires, etc. Destruction due to wickedness. This is the theme that Nibley is attempting to build up using so many disparate ancient sources and putting them all together in parallel absolutely totally out of context in order to match up Joseph Smith's Book of Enoch but only as Nibley manipulates Joseph Smith's own vision of what is supposed to be extracts from the Book of Enoch in chronological order mind you. <laughs> wow. Here's the crazy thing. In all of these, and he does more on page 201. <laughs> I get this. 
page 201, Moses 7, 13, he, he parallels with the Psalms of Solomon. Okay, and then Matthew Black's translation of Enoch. And then he jumps from Moses 7, 13 on page 201 to Moses 6, 34, and he shows a parallel of one Enoch 52 and 6. But there's something exquisite. It was about this point that I began to recognize something astonishing. That completely wipes out all of this, in my opinion. And someday it may be found, but it's not now. And then, of course, more, more of the same, 202, 203. He's using, again, the combat of Adam and Eve. Fourth Ezra 649. See back here, he used Psalms of Solomon and uh, Baruch, second Baruch, and uh, Mysteries of Jesus, the Bariata. Uh, now he's up into fourth Ezra. And now he's in the Apocryphon of John, a Gnostic work, paralleling it to Moses 7.56. Then he jumps to 1 Enoch 6.3, uh, and then 1 Enoch 61. Um, it's astounding how ridiculous this method is. So I just wanted a page 207, again, Moses 7.66, with the combat of Adam and Eve. And this is where the mountains are shaking and the river is changing its course and the beasts are howling in the wilderness, etc. And Nibley says, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's a parallel. It must be true. And nobody ever stopped to analyze and think about his inane methodology. Here on page 210, he does the book of Adam. And then he shows again Moses 6.32 with the secrets of Enoch. And then, then he jumps backwards. He skips a verse and jumps backwards to verse 30. And then he goes to 2 Enoch 29. Now here he goes to the BHM with the parallel to Moses 6.38, the Bereshit Ha Midrash. Then from the Bereshit Ha Midrash, he jumps back up into the Secrets of Enoch, chapter 16. So see, up here he was doing Secrets of Enoch, chapter 13, just one verse, mind you. And now he's up, he skips four or five chapters to get to Secrets of 16 so that he can put together one sentence as a parallel to Moses 6.38. Come on. This couldn't even get your bachelor's degree. Oh, yeah. Now he's using Jesus Basilius, a scholarly text. And then he goes to the book of Adam. And from this book of Adam, then he jumps back up into the Bereshit Ha Midrash. Then he goes from there back to the Giza. And, and then one Enoch. And then back to the book of Adam. The, Wow. Then to the Giza. Oh, and then the Testament of Abraham. Moses 645, parallel with the Testament of Abraham. Uh, and then back to the baby. And, and now on page 215, he's using also the Testament of Dan, a completely different set of literature and different concerns all together. Th this is astonishing how he does it. Get this. I, I'm sorry to carry on like this, but it's time to uh, call the spade a spade. Now we're back in Moses. I'm on page 222, 21, 222 of Nibley's text, Enoch the prophet. Moses 667, and then he jumps to 7 verse 4. He is paralleling with 1 Enoch 19, with the Giza 2-2, with Ben-Gorion 1-251, then the Apocalypse of Abraham, then from that completely different text with a completely different context, he jumps back over to the secrets of Enoch, then from there he jumps into 1 Enoch 33, and from there he then goes into, again, another completely different book, Jubilees, then he jumps back to the secrets of Enoch, so he's taken bits and pieces, parts and units from as many different ancient sources as he can, and he is matching them up to the Joseph Smith book of Enoch in Moses as he, Nibley, arranges, rearranges 
the chronology in order to show the supposed parallel. That's nuts. That's absolutely. Oh, and then he uses Oregon first principle. He uses an early Christian church father for a parallel. And, and so, and he does this for pay. He's using one Nephi one force, comparing it to second Enoch one and two on page 224. He's using two Nephi 424 and parallelating it to the Beit HaMidrash on page 224. I, my goodness! He's jumping all over the flipping world with this stuff. On page 225, more of the same. Two Nephi 440 or 425 with the Beit HaMidrash. He's using Moses 1 and 1 with the Beit HaMidrash. He's using Abraham 2.7 with 1 Enoch 39.3. And the book of Adam, chapter 1, verse 238. Uh, so, so he, uh, and then he's using the assumption of Moses to describe the cosmology. Moses 7.3, this is on page 229 of his book, Enoch the Prophet. And he, he's continually doing, I'm showing you that Nibley did not just do that in one odd chapter. This is his entire method throughout his entire investigation of the book of Enoch. The Sophia of Jesus Christu, the Evangelium Veritatis, the Giza 1421, the Gospel of Philip, he's using all on page 230 as parallels to Joseph Smith's Book of Enoch. Okay. Wow. So, through it all, he finally gets, and he's still doing, for Pete's sake, on page, he's doing it all throughout, and I mean from page 201 all the way up into, I'm now up, I'm, I'm skimming, and there's parallels, all, parallel columns all over the place, on every page, and I'm up to page 264, and he is still going strong. Moses 718, he's he's paralleling to the Zohar, and then second Baruch 30. Um, okay, and then the uh, Moses 727. Notice he went from Moses 718 on this page to 727. So he really is chopping up Joseph Smith's chronology in order to make a parallel with the book of Enoch by showing the parallel in Joseph Smith's book of Enoch with the apocalypse of Adam. He does that on page 264. On page 265, it's more of the same with the Giza, with 1 Enoch 105, with baby 104, and then from there to second Enoch, which is not first Enoch, I promise, second Enoch 2380. And then, of course, Moses 760 is paralleled again with the apocalypse of Abraham. So uh, th this, this is pure invention, is what it is. Th this, this is, this doesn't work. The Apocryphon of John, again, he used it once earlier, page 268, I'm on in Nibley's book, Enoch the Prophet, Moses 725, he parallels it to Baby 102 and the Apocryphon of John, and then down to the Apocalypse of Adam. And then over here, Moses 762, I'm on page 269, he parallels it to Jubilees 127. And Jubilees 23 with 1 Enoch 5.9. And Moses 7.62 with 1 Enoch 39. See, earlier he was using 1 Enoch 69 or 1 Enoch 17. Now he's doing 1 Enoch 39. That All you have to do is read the book of Enoch to see the serious flawed method going on here.
Apocalypse of Abraham, more from the Apocalypse of Abraham. Fourth Ezra 13.36, 1 Enoch 39, and then the Berlin manuscript and the Coptic manuscript. And he's paralleling these on page 275 to Moses 7.63, and he's adding on as an extra contextual data in order to make these parallels much stronger to Joseph Smith's book of Enoch at Moses 7.63 with guess what? D and C 45.11? Wow. Uh, and then the Enoch of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, this, this is very interesting. He says these newly translated pieces, I'm on page 277 of his book, Book of Enoch. Ah, these newly translated pieces add one genuinely new bit of information to our store, something that is probably the most objective test yet of Joseph Smith's prophetic powers. See, that's the agenda. That's the apologetic. You, you can't just allow the chronological book of Enoch in the book of Moses 6 and 7 and part of 8. You can't just allow it to stand as is. You've got to make chopped liver of it and pull out part of its intestines here and stick it up by the ear. You have to yank out the left eye and put it down as the right testicle. You have to take the little finger and put it over here on the left nipple of the breast in order to make this body work. That's how Nibley's treating Joseph Smith's book of Enoch. I haven't even gotten to the ancient materials yet. But now we will hear. It doesn't test Joseph Smith's prophetic powers. It shows how creatively deceptive Hugh Nibley's scholarship could be. That's all we're witnessing throughout the course of this book. What always impressed me is the, oh, and then this is the Mahesha Mahuja, which as Colby Townsend has demonstrated, now, and here is something else I discovered that even Colby Townsend didn't say, but I will. Um, the question in the Pearl of Great Price is, the people come to Enoch and they say, tell us plainly who you are. They don't know him. He's out there making a big fuss about them being wicked and not following the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's the detail Joseph Smith puts in. I'll read that shortly. And none of that is in any of this ancient material at all. And then Enoch begins to tell them about their wickedness. Who are you? We don't know you. Tell us plainly. That is the Joseph Smith context. In the Dead Sea Scrolls book of Giants fragments, they do know Enoch. Now, this is very different context. They are having bad dreams about trees and gardens and mountains and all kinds of weird stuff. And they're talking among themselves in the Dead Sea Scroll Book of Giants fragments. And they're asking themselves, what do you, they go to the different groups of the giants and they say, well, what do you think of this dream? I'm having this weird dream. And the other giant says, yeah, and I'm having another real weird dream. And they're making fun of each other and they're trying to figure it out. The father of Mahui, which Nibley says is Mahuja, who is called Barak L. It would have been nice if Joseph Smith would have put a little bit of genealogy. See, we don't even know that it's the giants or the watchers or the Nephilim that Enoch is talking to in Joseph Smith's book of Enoch. And yet they are absolutely all over the place in the book of of giants. And we have evidence of that because Manny, the Persian prophet, also had a copy of the book of giants. And we have a lot more of that book, which is distinct from the book of watchers. We have a lot more of Manny's copy of the book of giants so that we can compare that 
with the Book of Giants Dead Sea Scrolls fragments. That's why the storyline that J.T. Milliken, Matthew Black put in their book, The Books of Enoch, which is the source Nibley utilized for his analysis, that's why we know their storyline is pretty close, but Nibley rearranges even Millick's and Black's context and storyline to manipulate it to match Joseph Smith's. I, this is all just manipulation, is what I'm telling you. Nibley's scholarship is. They already knew who Enoch was, and the father of Mahuja, I'll say Mahuja, it's Mahawi in the fragments that Nibley says is the same being. The father tells Mahuja, oh, well, you need answers to the what your dreams mean? Go talk to Enoch. He knows. They already know him. In Joseph Smith's book of Enoch, they're, they're terrified of Enoch. That's not what happens in the book of Giants. So, I mean, I've gone on long enough. I didn't mean to make this so long. I wanted to do a quick response, but I can't help it because not only is the context different in the Dead Sea Scroll book of Enoch than Joseph Smith's, but Nibley's parallels, which so turn on so many LDS apologists. I mean, uh, Terrell Givens, uh, you've got, Jeff Bradshaw, in his huge book, his gigantic book, In God's Image and Likeness 2, The uh, Enoch, Noah, and the Tower of Babel. He makes a big whoop-de-doo about these parallels and how terrific they are to demonstrate Joseph Smith's prophetic calling, etc. And they're always talking about being accused of wickedness and they're going to be bound into prison in the Dead Sea Scroll fragments, comparing it with Manny's Book of Giants, as well as later medieval Jewish commentaries, which is, I suspect, what Nibley was trying to get to when he was quoting the Zohar as the parallel. But the Zohar is a better parallel with Manny's Book of Giants than it will ever be for Joseph Smith's Pearl of Great Price. And I suspect Nibley knew that. No question. So I don't mean to get this too complex. It is a complex subject. But Oya said to Manny, do not tremble, tell us what is going on. And Mahawi says, Barakel, my father was with me. See, we don't get any kind of this detail in Joseph Smith's book of Enoch. It's all generalized, blah, blah, you're wicked, you're going to be destroyed. So what? That's not that convincing. Big deal. And so... Uh, and then they have the Book of Remembrance. I thought that was okay. It's all good. My point in all of this is simply this. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and... In the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith, before I close out, the main context at least of the Dead Sea Scrolls Book of Enoch Fragments, which Nibley says is the closest stuff to Joseph Smith's Book of Enoch. So I will focus on that. But the main issue, and of course, it's fragmentary. I get that, yes. The answer that Joseph Smith's Book of Enoch gives is literally nowhere in any Enoch materials whatsoever. And this is quite remarkable. What is missing because the book of Enoch does not know this, and what Joseph Smith is doing in his book of Enoch is he is putting his understanding of theology back into the ancient world as if his understanding is theirs 
And this is the most heinous no-no in biblical scholarship. Joseph Smith did this over and over and over again in the Book of Mormon. We find he did the same thing in the Pearl of Great Price, Book of Enoch. Here is the problem. None of this is in the Ethiopic, Greek, Slavonic, Aramaic, Arabic, etc. Books of Enoch or the Dead Sea Scroll fragments. Enoch continued his speech saying, The Lord which spake with me, the same is the God of heaven. He is my God and your God, and ye are my brethren. Now, Nibley sets it up so that the giants and watchers and Nephilim are Enoch's enemies. And their enemies in the scrolls, here, Joseph Smith said they were brethren. They weren't. Why counsel ye yourselves and deny the God of heaven? The heavens he made, the earth is his footstool. Behold, he laid it. A host of men has he brought upon the face of the earth thereof. Even death hath come upon our fathers. Nevertheless, we know them and cannot deny. And even the first of all we know, even Adam. Because that Adam fell, we are, and by his fall came death. Behold, Satan hath come among the children of men and tempted them to worship him, and men have become carnal, sensual, and devilish, and are shut out from the presence of God. But God has made known unto our fathers that all men must repent. This is verse 50. This is Moses 6. I'm at 51 now. And he called upon our father Adam by his own voice. And I made, oh, I am God. I made the world and men. Therefore, they were in the flesh. And he said unto him, if thou wilt turn unto me and hearken unto my voice and believe and repent of all thy transgressions and be baptized even in water in the name of mine only begotten son who is full of grace and truth, which is Jesus Christ the only name which shall be given under heaven, whereby salvation shall come unto the children of men, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, asking all things in his name. And whatsoever ye shall ask, it shall be given to you. This is Enoch talking to the Nephilim, the watchers, the giants, Oya and Mahuja. This is what Joseph Smith says Enoch is teaching them. And our father Adam spake unto the Lord and said, Why is it that men must repent and be baptized in water? And the Lord said unto Adam, Behold, I have forgiven thee thy transgression in the garden of Eden. Hence came the saying abroad among the people that the Son of God hath atoned for original guilt. Notice when this is supposed to be in Enoch's day. The Son of God, this is the saying that went abroad among all of the people, the giants, the Nephilim, all the people, Enoch's group, everybody. The Son of God has atoned for original guilt, wherein the sins of the parents cannot be answered upon the head of the children. For they are whole from the foundation of the world. And the Lord spake unto Adam, saying, Inasmuch as thy children are conceived in sin, even so when they begin to grow up, sin conceives in their hearts. And they taste the bitter that they may know and prize the good. It is given unto them to know good from evil. Wherefore they are agents unto themselves. And I have given unto you another law and commandment. Wherefore teach it unto your children that all men everywhere must repent, or they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. For no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence. For in the language of Adam, man of holiness is his name, and the name of his only begotten is the Son of Man, even Jesus Christ, a righteous judge who shall come in the meridian of time. Therefore, I give unto you a commandment to teach these things freely unto your children, saying to them that by reason of transgression comes the fall. The fall brings death inasmuch as you were born into the world by water and blood and the spirit, 
which I have made, and so became of dust a living soul, even so you must be born again in the kingdom of heaven, of water, and by the Spirit, and be cleansed by blood, even the blood of mine only begotten, that ye might be sanctified from all sin and enjoy the words of eternal life in this world and eternal life in the world to come, even immortal glory. Therefore, if you abide in me, it is given to abide in you, the record of heaven, the comforter, the peaceable things of immortal glory, the truth of all things, which quickeneth all things, which maketh alive all things, and which knoweth all things, and hath all power according to wisdom, to mercy, to truth, to justice, to judgment. This is the plan of salvation unto all men. I'm at verse 62 now. See, I'm not chopping this up and rearranging it. I am reading absolutely everything Hunibly left out of the Joseph Smith book of Enoch. And you can see this context changes it all. All things are made and bear record of me, whether spiritual, temporal, in the heavens above, here on earth below. Underneath the earth, all things bear record of me. And this the Lord spoke unto Adam. And he was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord, carried down into the water, laid down into the water. Adam was brought forth out of the water. He was baptized. The Spirit of God descended on him. He was born of the Spirit. He became quickened in the inner man. He heard a voice out of heaven saying, Thou art baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. This is the record of the Father and the Son from henceforth and forever. Thou art after the order of him who was without beginning of days or end of years from all eternity to all eternity. And then he continues to teach them in chapter 7 in the book of Enoch all about the land. The people of Canaan must repent. They must turn away from bloodshed. He continued his preaching in righteousness, talking about the holy city of Zion, the city of Enoch. And it came to pass that surely Zion will dwell safely forever, but the residue of the people I have cursed. And Enoch and the inhabitants of the earth beheld, and lo, Zion was taken up into heaven. This is 721. And unto Enoch, this is my abode forever. And those who are righteous will ascend up into Zion from off the earth. This is the seed of Adam. All the seed of Adam can be saved except the seed of Cain, for the seed of Cain were black. That's verse 22 of chapter 7. And the generation after generation, the Son of Man and the power of Satan was upon the earth. And he saw angels descending, heard a loud voice crying, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, etc. And man could not number the particles of the earth because there are millions of earths like this. Then God is weeping. Man of holiness is my holy name. You shall... The sin shall be upon the heads of the fathers. Satan shall be their father. Misery shall be their doom, etc. Then in verse 46, all that mourn shall be sanctified and have eternal life. And the Lord said, it shall be in the meridian of time. In the wickedness, in the days of wickedness and vengeance, he said, Enoch said, I saw the day of the coming of the Son of Man, even in the flesh. And his soul rejoiced, saying, The righteous is lifted up, and the Lamb is slain from the foundation of the world. And through faith I am in the bosom of the Father, and behold, Zion is with me. He looked on the earth. It was groaning in travail. He said, verse 50, Enoch continued his cry unto the Lord, saying, I ask thee, O Lord, in the name of thine only begotten, even Jesus Christ, that thou wilt have mercy upon Noah and his seed. And God said, nope, not going to happen. None 
of what I just read to you out of Joseph, and I'm not done. I don't have time. It goes on and on and on with the wickedness. But none of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his atonement in the meridian of time, Adam repenting, being baptized, and having the Spirit. You be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, etc. That's the solution to the problem in Joseph Smith's book of Enoch. And it is nowhere else found anywhere in any of the other books of Enoch. If it had been, I can guarantee you, Hugh Nibley would have put that in parallel column. Jeff Bradshaw would have put that in his texts. Fair would have screamed that from the top of the heavens. Criminy, they would have mentioned that in general conference. None of it is there. So my response is, number one, the parallels with the Dead Sea Scroll Book of Enoch and the Joseph Smith Book of Enoch are just basically vague. They're too vague. And the really good, excellent, detailed parallels that would have convinced me that there is really something genuinely here would have been if he could have given the genealogy a little more and told who the enemies were, the right, the the giants, the watchers, the Nephilim, and their sons and fathers, their brothers, Oya and Mahawi, whose father was Barak El, etc. If he could have put material like that in, and then specifically shown that it was their dreams and the interpretations of their dreams that was bugging them. It wasn't their wickedness that was bugging them. They couldn't figure out their dreams. They already knew who Enoch was. If that, along with the actual gospel of Jesus Christ in specifics like Joseph Smith gave us, if that would have been in these books of Enoch, He'd had me. And that is exactly why he doesn't.